Hi, I'm Latresa. And I'm Clancy. And we are a mother-daughter duo that shares a love and admiration for all things Elvis. On this podcast, you can expect a deep dive into the life of Elvis Presley. We will discuss books written by Elvis's friends, family members, and others who knew him best. We will critique and enjoy Elvis movies, concerts, and music with those who grew up listening to his music, watching his movies, enjoying his concerts, and hopefully inspiring a new generation of Elvis fans along the way. With all the misconceptions surrounding Elvis, we want to remember his life and his legacy. The man, the friend, the entertainer, and the philanthropist. This podcast is dedicated to those of us who celebrate the life of one of the greatest entertainers of all times. Let's Talk Elvis! Hey guys, it's Clancy and Latresa, and welcome back to the Let's Talk Elvis podcast. Before we get started today, I happened to just be looking on um, Apple Podcasts and saw where Caitlin Celeste0917 wrote us a review. She said, I have been a fan of Elvis my whole life. Lately, I've been a little obsessed, so I love to listen more about him and learn more things. So this podcast is great for that. And thank you so much, Caitlin. Uh, I was really excited to see that someone had written a review. And if anybody else would like to leave a review, I will be happy to share it on the air. It made our whole week. Yes, it did. So, um... Today, I'm going to be honest, I haven't had a ton of time to research like my mom, so she's going to be taking the reins on. It would be good to do Elvis and videos, so I'll let you take it away. Okay, we've been to Sun Studios several times, and if you do go to Memphis, it is a must. You have to go to Sun Studios. must. It is the coolest place, and I never get, I mean, you learn the same things every time, but I never get tired of taking that tour. I Ever. know, I don't either. It's it's definitely something that you need to do. Going to start out with Sam Phillips, who um, was the owner of the Memphis Recording Studio, also known as Sun Studios. And um, he, uh, Sam Phillips was the youngest of eight children. He was born in near Florence, Alabama, and his family owned a 200-acre farm. And when he was a boy, he picked cotton. He and his parents picked cotton alongside of of the colored laborers. Um, And that's where he fell in love with rhythm and blues. He loved hearing them sing in the fields, and it left a huge impression on him. That is something I did not know until I started doing this research. Did you know that? No, no, it's really cool. Yeah. Well, the first time that his family um, traveled through Memphis, he slipped off to get a look at Bill Street, and he said that he instantly fell in love. And his dream was to be a um, a criminal attorney. That's what he planned wow. to do. Yeah. And so his family in the Depression, his family lost the farm, and his dad didn't live too long after that. Um They lost him. And so he basically, he had to drop out of high school in order to help support his his mom and his aunt. And so um, when he left high school, he worked at a grocery store and he worked at a funeral parlor. 
before mm. he finally ended up at a radio station. It was W-L-A-Y. And he was the announcer. And that's where he met his future wife, Becky, who also worked at the radio station. This was in Sheffield, Alabama. And he said that he fell in love with her voice before he ever even saw her. I thought that was very sweet. Yes. Um, in the 1940s, he worked at a, as a DJ and a radio engineer at WLAY in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Mm. And then in 1945, he was in Memphis and he was working as an announcer and a sound engineer for WREC. So he, um, he definitely um, had a love for music and he definitely... Um, had a knack for being a, an announcer on the radio and um, and working as a sound engineer. He like he was very into different sounds. Um, and in 1950, he opened up the Memphis Recording Service at 706 Union Avenue, which is where we go to see Sun Records. Yep. Um, but while he was in, um. Muscle Shoals at WLAY. Uh, the station had an open format. Um, it was for black and white singers a lot, and this helped to inspire him for his later recordings when he did open up the Memphis Recording Studio in 1950. And um, he let amateur performers make recordings there. And some of the amateur, quote unquote, B.B. King, Junior Parker, Howling Wolf, these were all um, amateur performers who came in and for a fee, they could record, have their uh, music recorded. And what Sam did was uh, he would sell the recordings to larger labels. And that's how he made his money. So. From what I understand or understood when we were there too, it a big way that he was able to keep the recording studio going before he had the bigger acts like Elvis um, was was that anybody could come off the street and and record. That's so, I mean, right. If you or I wanted to make a song, all we'd have to do is pay. Elvis yeah. paid four dollars. I know we're not there yet, but. He paid four dollars and was able to record, so he he was able to do that too. That's, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and that was really rare that day and age. Yeah, and that was basically how he made his business. You know, he and he was looking for a sound. That was the thing with Sam was he was uh, he was looking for a definite sound. He had in his mind what he. He wasn't sure what he wanted, but he knew that when he heard it, that he, he would know that's what it was. So he was always looking for that sound. And um, he opened the Memphis Recording Service. And then in 1952, two years later, he started his own record label, which was the Sun Records. Mm -hmm. And um, Sun Records produced more rock and roll records than any other record label of its time but he recorded you know like we're talking about he recorded different styles wow. of music um anybody that came in could record whatever they wanted to but he was on the search for a sound and he his interest was in the blues the rhythm and blues 
but he also, in order to pay the bills, he also recorded weddings, funerals, any event that anybody um, would pay him for. He mm-hmm. recorded it, so he he was very versatile and re- you know willing to do whatever. Um, an entrepreneur that was trying just trying to make a living doing something that he loved. Yeah. So um, then we come to Marianne Kiesker, and she was actually the first person to record Elvis. And yeah. I did not know a whole lot about her personal life. I found her very a very very interesting lady. Um, The first person to record Elvis, she was also a graduate of Southwestern College. She had a degree in English and medieval French. Wow. And she actually met Sam uh, Phillips while he was um, an announcer at WREC. She also worked for the radio station. She was a host. And she... um, She later joined uh, Sam as the station manager and assistant at the Memphis Recording Service and at Sun Records. Um, And from what I read, she was probably the most famous female radio personality in Memphis. And I read that at one point she was literally working in almost every station in Memphis. She was running from one to the other. She did advertising quiz shows, dramas, comedy. Uh, she was involved in all of that. And so just by looking at her picture, which for the listeners, if you haven't ever seen a picture of her, look it up. I would never guess that she was a big radio personality. She looks more like a school teacher or something. She does not look yes. like someone that would be this huge radio personality. Exactly. Yes. I, I always thought that she was basic, you know, the front desk lady. Yeah. And, I mean, and I knew she had a big of, part in Elvis. I, I did yeah. know that, but I had no clue about it. And, and that's something that, that is brought up too. It's like, she's always uh, remembered as like the secretary or the assistant. And she had a much, much bigger part. Um, I mean, she was very savvy mm-hmm. on what she did and a very educated woman. And it was on uh, July the 18th in 1953. She was at the Memphis Recording Studio when Elvis Presley came in to record My Happiness, and that's where your heartache begins. And she asked him when he came in what kind of a singer he was, and he said that he sang all kinds of songs. And she said, who do you sound like? You brought up that whole whole, uh, time, and we didn't hear what you said. Oh, man. I said that... um, on July 18th, 1953, she was at the Memphis Recording Studio when Elvis Presley came in to record My Happiness, and that's where the heartache begins. And she asked him what kind of a singer he was, and he said he sang all kinds of songs. And she said, who do you sound like? And this is the famous line we hear a lot in every movie or every show about Elvis. He says, I don't sound like nobody, which was absolutely the truth. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, she actually, where we were, we were talking about, um, 
some of her contributions, but she recognized Elvis's unique talent and how it could fit into the new Sun Records genre of genre blending Southern music that Sam was looking for. She saw that in Elvis. And um, Sam wasn't completely on board, but Marion just kept encouraging. She just kept bringing Elvis up and and trying to get him to give Elvis a shot. And she kept pushing Sam to follow through with his idea to pair him up with uh, Scotty Moore and Bill Black. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But talking about um, Marion, she was in on every creative and every commercial direction of the Memphis Recording Studio. And she even helped to select the location. She was in on every bit of the business dealing. She kept the business records. She organized the distribution. She took care of the radio contacts. She did it all. Wow. And Sam did a lot of traveling. Sam Sam was promoting their records, taking them all over the country. He would put thousands and thousands of miles in. And she was the one who held down the fort. Wow. So, um, she also helped to market and promote Elvis early on. She helped to build his legendary image. Uh, she got him an article uh, with the Memphis Press through connections that she had with another Southwestern alum. And so when Elvis did the article, um, early on, anytime you ever hear an interview with Elvis, it's like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes or no. You know, all he would say was like, yes or no. He did not elaborate on anything. And no. so in the interview, there wasn't really a whole lot of meat to it. And Marion filled in the blanks on the article. And I actually read the article and it basically, it doesn't really say a whole lot about, I mean, it's not, it doesn't say a lot. There's not a lot of interaction with Elvis, but it was like Elvis Presley, you know, she was, she was basically telling the story and the, the, um, the reporter was writing it down as she told it. And then this was something that I thought was really sweet was when Elvis was in Germany in the service He was Mm -hmm. in an international press conference, and he interrupted the conference to say hello to Air Force Captain Marion Kiesker McGines and introduced her and thanked her for helping him to be the reason for the press conference that was happening. And I thought that was really sweet. She went on and joined the service after, after all of her encounters in the music industry. And she was basically working in, um, in the the press part of the um, of the service, she was in charge. She was doing something for the press conference, which I thought was really neat. Yeah, I have uh, so. an expert on Jerry Schilling, who, if you listened last week, it was part of the Memphis Mafia. He said, um, so in 1971, Elvis was uh, nominated or I chosen as one of the top 10 um, most outstanding uh, outstanding men by the JCs, which. Um, wow, the JCs, yes. JCs. Um, so Jerry Schilling was there with him and he said that he walked with him into a luncheon at the Rivermont Hotel before the awards ceremony. And one of the first guests Elvis recognized was Marion Kiesker 
who had served for years as Sam Phillips's right-hand woman at Sun Studios. It was Marion who had first met with Elvis at Sun, and she gave him some very important early encouragement. Marion had left Sun in 1957 to join the Air Force, and she was in full-dress uniform at the Rivermont event. Elvis hadn't seen her in more than 10 years, but when he spotted her on the way into the luncheon, his eyes lit up and he looked like the thrilled kid he must have been after many of those sun sessions. When he turned to me to introduce Marion, he explained who she was by simply saying, this woman was there when it all started. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, she, she says in an interview that that was the, the first time in Germany that that uh, she was basically recognized as the one who had discovered him, I guess. Sam Phillips gets the credit for that, but yeah. but it was really Marion. She was the one who it recorded was. him. I remember and, uh, on the last tour we did in July at Sun, um, she had written on El- like their copy of Elvis's first records that he recorded, Good Ballad Singer. Well, yeah. Sam wasn't looking for a ballad singer, so he just, you know, kind of yeah. left it at that. Exactly. And she just kept encouraging him to bring him back, bring him back, bring him back. It, it was definitely her. Yeah, she, she was, she was uh, definitely um, the most influential and, and gave him the support that he needed. Early on, he was very insecure. Mm-hmm. So um, now we've talked about Sam, we've talked about Mary, and now we're going to talk about Sun Studios. And actually, Rocket 88 was the first rock and roll single that was recorded. And it was recorded by Jackie Brinston and the Delta Cats. And Ike yep. Turner was on the keyboard. Wow. Howling Wolf, Junior Parker, Little Milton, B.B. King, Rufus Thomas. And other blues and rhythm and blues artists all recorded there in the 1950s. That was the place to be. Um, You also have uh, Johnny Cash, who recorded there. Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, who was one of Elvis's favorites. Charlie Mm -hmm. Rich, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. They all recorded at Sun Studio. Yeah, And um, in 1954 is when Elvis began his singing career at Sun Records. And in 1955, his recording contract was sold to RCA Victor for $35,000. And um, I've read that Elvis got a $5,000 bonus. But when I was reading about um, RCA purchasing i was i read that the five thousand dollars uh was actually like the royalties that um he had earned while he was at Uh sun studios um Mm -hmm. but while he was at sun studios um the raw combination of folk music blues and country came together to form what would be known as rock and roll and um I don't know if a lot of people know the song that Elvis sings, um, Mystery Train, Train I Ride. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam co-wrote that. Sam Phillips was a co-writer for that song. And he was always looking. He was always tweaking. He was always playing with um, different sounds. You know, when you go, they um, some of the guides that we've had, they will take a dollar bill and they will 
thread it through the strings of a guitar and they'll play the guitar and it and it gives it a different sound and also they show where they would take like crumpled up newspaper and put it in a speaker and it would give a different sound so he did a lot of of ingenious things like that um i guess that would be press a button on a machine yeah that that the technology of the time has changed but he he experimented with a lot of stuff like that but he actually was a co-writer of me of the mystery train and um and elvis was known early on they called it rockabilly is what they called it um but elvis very quickly outgrew sun records and um and so son was needing sam was really strapped for cash i mean his his money went out as fast as it came in and um, he needed money to um to back other artists and he was trying to get out of debt and then he had his operating expenses so it was a very mutual he had outgrown son um at the time when he did go to rca so it was um it was a happy time for all of them uh when he did sign with RCA and then RCA took all of the singles that he had recorded that was part of the deal he got they got all of the singles and RCA re-released them Mm -hmm. and so that put him back on you know all the songs basically locally and in the south when RCA got a hold of it then it you know it really spread and then his debut single for RCA was Heartbreak Hotel and it reached number one on the Billboard Top 100. So that was really um, that was really monumental too. That um, when RCA they really really got onto something when they when they got a hold of Elvis that was a good deal. Um, yeah. And then the Million Dollar Quartet, which um, if you know anything about that, they've got a play, they've got a, a Broadway show about the Million Dollar Quartet. And it was an impromptu jam session. And it took place at Sun Records in, in December of 1956. And setting the scene, you have Carl Perkins, who is at Sun Studios with uh, two of his brothers and another guy. And he's there to record some new material. Well, Johnny Cash knows that Carl Perkins is in town and that he is recording at Sun. So he stops by. Um, and mm-hmm. Sam had brought Jerry Lee Lewis in to play the piano. Now, Jerry Lee was popular in the Memphis area, but this was before he took off. So they had brought him in to play the piano. And so sometime that afternoon, Elvis pops in with um, one of his lady friends, Marilyn Evans. So you've got Carl Perkins, you've got Johnny Cash, you've got Jerry Lee Lewis, and then in pops Elvis. And so um, after the recordings or during breaks or whatever, they all break into a jam session, just having a big old time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jack Clement was a producer at Sun Records at the time, and he was engineering that day. And when he saw this group of men together, he said he couldn't help but record the history that was in the making. And so um, Sam calls the Memphis Press and they come over and bring a photographer and uh, Bob Johnson writes an article 
and George Pierce takes a picture and it appears in the paper and underneath it, it says million dollar quartet. Um, at the time, you, you've got to think that Elvis is, um, he's signed with RCA. And uh, so it's not really, I mean, it's not a legal thing for them to. No, you know, highly illegal. It was highly illegal. Yes, it was. And um, and I don't remember exactly how, but I did read that uh, Presley Enterprises or one of Elvis's um, companies at the time or whatever did eventually get rights to the recording. Um, and it now you can you can buy it now. I think it was in the 1980s when it actually became available, and um, and I do have a copy of it. But you can hear um, you can hear Elvis is basically the focal point. Um, they're they're all gathering. He's talking about somebody singing one of his songs, and they sit down and they're doing a lot of gospel. They do Christmas songs. It's just really a really fun upbeat. Um, performance and you can tell that it's just off the cuff that it's just some friends together having a good time playing music and it's yeah. it's really something um that you you know it's, it's really something neat to hear um if you haven't heard it it's really neat thank goodness they got a photographer and thank goodness he pressed record exactly exactly uh, that's one of the that's that's really a good um a good way to remember Elvis I love the spontaneity and he's he's still so young and he he wasn't struck on himself at all you know he's he's talking to the guys and he's getting information and they're all they're all just singing it's just really fun yeah but I do have the story I I looked up um in Peter Garalnik's book Lice Train to Memphis and I did find the um as much of an accurate account, I've heard many, many times the story of how Elvis, how Sam Phillips got together with uh, Scotty and Bill. And this is the story. If you haven't heard it, this is the story. Now, Scotty um, and Bill, that guitar player, bass and guitar player in the very beginning. They were. Yes, they were. And, and I'm going to explain all that. Uh, they were members of the Starlight Wranglers and the Starlight Wranglers were a hillbilly band that played locally, but really wasn't going very far. Um, and Scotty dreamed, he basically had the same dream as Sam. He was looking for this sound and he was wanting to make a difference and wanting to be a part of the music. And so, um, Scotty got to where he would stop by and visit Sam at the stu at the Sun Studios when he would get off from work. Um, Sam had recorded them, and and really there was nothing big, nothing spectacular there with the Wranglers. So, um, but Scotty would talk would stop by, and the funny thing, if you've ever been to uh, to Sun Studios, when you walk into Sun Studios, you are actually in a little restaurant. And you can order mm -hmm. food, you can order a milkshake, whatever. It's a, it's like an old timey, like, um, I don't know, a little, just a little I don't diner. think they have food. Um, I think it's basically like drinks and drinks. Yeah. I don't, I don't okay. I thought they had hamburgers. 
But anyway, but you can get snacks and things. It's still a restaurant. So um, back in the day, it was known as Miss Taylor's Restaurant. And it was actually attached to Sun Studios just like it is now. So Scotty would drop by after work and he and Sam would go over to um, to Miss Taylor's restaurant and have a cup of coffee. And they would sit there and they would talk all about music. And um, like I say, Sam was looking for something different. And Scotty was too. They didn't know what it was. But they, but they knew when they heard it, they'd know that's what it was. So they would sit around and drink coffee and talk about what, you know, trying to find out what was the unique sound they needed. Mm-hmm. And so um, Scotty had heard about a young ballad singer that had possibilities. So he's talk, he starts talking to Sam about him. And... Um, and people would say there was something real different about his voice. And so Sam was interested in having this new guy to try out a song that he had picked up when he was in Nashville. And one day when they're drinking their coffee, Marion is joining them. And so they're talking about this ballad singer. And she remembers that he came in a week before. And uh, she actually has his name and his number very handy. So Sam asks for it. And um, so he gives it, he gives the number to Scotty. And Scotty calls him that very evening, right after supper time, and asks him if he's interested in getting together and playing. Sam says, you and Bill get together with him. Don't get the whole group. Y'all get together at your house and just jam a little bit and see what you think and let me know. So Scotty calls him up and asks him if he wants to get together and play with him. And he says, I guess so. So anyway, the next evening he shows up at Bill's or at Scotty's. And um, they said he had on a black shirt, pink pants with a black stripe, white shoes and a greasy duck tail. <laughs> and um, didn't impress him very much. He sang fragments of a lot of different ballads. They said he was very nervous, but it's just like, he um, he had a tenor voice that didn't seem to settle anywhere, and um, they just weren't really impressed with him. Bill said when he left, he said, I wasn't impressed with him, but the cat could really sing. So it was like he was kind of all over the place. Um, yeah. But they told Sam, they said he's got a good voice. You know, they, they said, we're not really impressed with him as, as, as a person, whatever, but he's got a good voice. So anyway, Sam decides to ask him to come to the studio. So the next evening, Sam and Scotty and Bill, all roll into the, th- to the studio. And Sam said that he felt like Elvis appeared both proud and needy. Um, he would withhold himself back like he was real unsure of himself. And then he would just kind of throw himself into the conversation. Like, you know, his nerves were really, were really on edge. And Sam tried to make him feel, make him feel more comfortable. And Sam said that when he sang, his voice would shift from tenor to a thin pitched, almost nasally tone. And then he would go back into his tenor voice. 
and he felt like he was throwing everything he knew into every, like he would sing one song and it's like he would try to do all of his tricks in that one song. He'd throw everything he had into the one song. But the one thing that stood out to Sam was he said that there was emotion being communicated in his singing. But they sung for a long time and it just was not working. They were all getting frustrated. It was late. Everybody had to work the next day. So they take a break and Scotty and Bill are sipping on Cokes. And Elvis later said that a song popped into his head that he hadn't heard in years. And so he starts singing. They're all just sitting around, you know, basically ready to go. And he starts singing That's All Right, Mama, which is an Arthur Big Boy Credit song, an old rhythm and blues. And Scotty says, all of a sudden, Elvis started singing this song and jumping around and acting a fool. Then Bill picked up on his bass and started acting a fool, too. And I started playing with him. And they said Sam stuck his head out of the control room and yelled, what are you doing? And they yelled, we don't know. And Sam yelled back, well, back up and try to find a place to start and do it all over again. And so he pushed record, and that's where it all started. I thought that was really, really neat how, you know, he he was just fooling around. But the song actually just popped into his head, and, um, and that's where it all began. Wow, that's recently become one of my favorite Elvis songs. It's just so good. It's still today so, so good. Yeah, um, his songs, it's just like his songs never get old. Um, they don't. Most of them. There's a few of them that I feel like are dated. Um, the the Milk Cow Blues song, I really don't like it, and they play it all yeah. the time. Um, but most of them are really, you know, they really, uh, they're catchy tunes and, and they were talking about how at the time and, and, and I don't even, it, you don't even, you hate to talk about it because it sounds like you're being racist. But at the time, Sam said that, you know, you have these young white kids that love the black sound, but they're afraid to buy into it. So here comes a guy who's white that has that sound. So now they have the freedom to buy. And so that was one of the things that really, and then the way that Elvis dressed, you know, he was, he was different. He was controversial, not only in his singing and his, his voice, his uh, songs of choice, but his style, um, everything about him, but the, just the raw rugged edge the uh, the whole picture of who he was is really uh, the time that he came along. I mean, it was just, he just changed the whole history of, of music. Oh, yeah. So if you are interested in going to Sun Studios, um, it is still, fun fact, a working uh, recording studio today. Stellar has recorded there. Bruno Mars has recorded there. I believe you uh, two, the band, has recorded there. I'm not positive on that one. I thought, yeah, I, I, they did. I think so. Yeah. Um, there, there's a whole list of uh, current musicians that have there because uh, 
of the history. And I have to say, if I was a famous singer, that would be number one on my list. I would have to go record there. Um, they have a they have X's on the floor where Elvis stood. They've got the microphone that he used. You can get a picture with. They've got X's on the floor where Scotty and Bill uh, stood for the recording of That's All Right. And it, it's, it is a really, really cool tour to take if you're in the Memphis area. There's also a TV show that was on CMT for one season. It starred Chad Michael Murray. He played Sam Phillips. It, um, he did an awesome job. It, he did a great job as Sam Phillips. It's definitely heightened a little bit, and there's some stuff thrown in for for drama purposes, but it, it's a great show, and if you go to Graceland anytime soon, they have the um, they have the set that they used in the soundstage set up so you can walk through, and, and it is crazy how spot on it is to the real Sun Studios. So that was a nice surprise the last time that we were there. Yes. And one thing that I read in, in my research that I didn't know was that, you know, it was called Sun Records, like the Sun label. Yes. But it was the Memphis Recording Service. That is what the studio was called. Yes. Uh, it wasn't officially named Sun Studios until the 1980s. So all okay. throughout Elvis's life, it was the Memphis Recording Service. Yes. Which I, I never knew that. I didn't know that either. One thing about Sun Studios, too, you know, you've got all the Elvis history. And, well, you know, you've got Johnny Cash. You've got Carl Perkins. You've got all the other uh, entertainers. But you go upstairs before you go into the actual recording studio. You go upstairs, and it's basically it walks you through the history of the Memphis recording studio and of just music in Memphis, the the rhythm and the blues and how the recordings began. And it just really gives you a feel for uh, the music, the history of music in Memphis. And it's really, really, uh, it's worth the, t- the trip. It's, it's an awesome tour to go through. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, it plays such a huge, huge part in the history of rock and roll. And it, it's just, it is fascinating. They had a group. To record, they came with their handcuffs and feet cuffed, and had a pretty big hit. And, and Sam, he would struggle because he would he would record these people. They would come in, he would record them, and he would sell their records. And they were just trying to get money, you know. And he would come to find out that they were signed with another record label, so the other record label would sue him. So he was in this constant legal battle as well. Mm-hmm. He was. People just going studio to studio trying to record so they could make a make fast money when they were already signed to another contract. So it, it, it it's just a it, it's a really, really cool place. And the history is just wild, but could not recommend it more if you're going to Memphis. It's a must do. It is, yes. Well, hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Sorry for the technical difficulties there in the middle. But um, 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Let's Talk Elvis Podcast. Uh, feel free to DM us anytime. We love to have to hear from you guys, to have suggestions. Um, it makes our day anytime we hear from any of you guys. And um, leave a review if you like what you hear. And we will talk to you next week. We are also, we've had several um, suggestions and we're working on some of those. We try, if it's something like we've got the fashion and that is going to be a big podcast. That's a very broad area. We are working on that. So when you send us suggestions, know that we are working on it. We're just trying to get it good enough and and have enough information to cover. So keep sending in your ideas and we'll keep working on them. We're really hoping to get to Graceland before we can record that episode so we can really, you know, see his jumpsuits in person and read all the stuff that we can about it and get you the best content possible because it is such a, oh, I can't wait for that episode. I'm so excited. It might even have to be a two-parter because his fashion is just like no other and it's going to, uh, we want to make it as good as we possibly can for you guys. Exactly. So everybody have a great week and um, thank you. Thank you very much.